Only a few days before the Seahawks were supposed to battle the Panthers at Lumen Field, their roster looked like a mash unit. And yet, even with all the injuries, all the players sitting out on Sunday, they found a way to get the job done with improved depth. We're going to be taking a look at the strength and numbers for the Seahawks early in this 2023 season to open our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks Podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and I wanted to give a special shout out to Rob and Nick Lee our other co-host yesterday doing a fantastic job filling in for me. I'm actually doing this show from a conference room at the hospital. I have a family member that's dealing with some significant health issues and wasn't able to actually watch the game on Sunday in real time. But I have now gotten a chance to look back and watch that game a couple of times. So we will still have our usual Monday musings that we're going to be dishing out and much more. A special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there, whether you're listening in from Hillsborough, Oregon, or overseas in Edinburgh, Scotland. We greatly appreciate all of you making Locked on Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. This Monday episode is brought your way by our friends over at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked in NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked in NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. If you recall last Thursday, the Seahawks might have had one of the longest injury reports that I have seen in the Pete Carroll era. They had 11 players, 10 starters among that group that were inactive. They had several other players that were limited, a couple players that luckily became full participants. But it truly looked like it was a mass unit. And people were wondering who's going to be available. You had eight players listed as questionable on Friday's final injury report handful of those guys ended up not playing on Sunday they were missing big time starters on both sides of the ball and yet Rob if there is a notable difference with this year's team so far compared to last year's team that made the playoffs it feels like with this extra draft class that they have brought in and some of those rookies starting to pick their game up including an undrafted player in Jake Bobo it feels like that extra class with the sophomores that have come back that there is more depth across the board for this football team and a few positions that I think we were questioning if they were going to have depth at, including the offensive line. We have to give that group a ton of credit with the way they played yesterday with, I believe it was eight snaps that they had 80% of their starting lineup was not on the field, and yet they kept things going and scored 37 points. It's pretty remarkable. It really is. Uh, I think that if – you know, as impressive as the Seahawks win over the Carolina Panthers was with all of their injuries, I think you can stay in the NFC West division and see another team that was surprised in the Arizona Cardinals pulling off an upset victory over the Dallas Cowboys. Now, why am I mentioning that? Because the Dallas Cowboys also had a whole bunch of injuries along the offensive line. And then they went to Arizona, presumed that they were going to be able to just kind of float in and be able to beat a team that was overmatched and yet then was beaten themselves and beaten fairly easily by Arizona. So I 100% agree with you, Corbin. I think that the, the Andy Dickerson and Seattle's offensive line, the, the collection of talent that the Seahawks have assembled there, really did a, a fantastic job. Um, the Seahawks did not lose their identity 
in this game. They obviously came in to this game with the mentality that they needed to be able to run the football. They needed to be able to use their tight ends, not only to help the offensive line, but also as receivers. Um, and, and so, again, I think it's the depth of their offensive line. You see a guy like Ben Brown who was brought in. He played those eight snaps that you kind of referred to a moment ago and actually did reasonably well. And then certainly what Anthony Bradford did at the right guard position, filling in for Phil Haynes. We talked before about Stone Forsyth, of course, and, uh, and Jake Curran at the tackle positions. I think that the communication with Evan Brown at center, I think is definitely helping out. But you're talking about a lot of very young players against a pretty formidable Carolina Panthers uh, uh, defensive front. I think the Seahawks offensive line, it's, it's not going to get the credit that Geno Smith or a Ken Walker the third, or maybe a Zach Charbonnet is going to receive. But if the Seahawks did not play as well as they did at the line of scrimmage, then they would have be walking around right now one and two rather than having two consecutive victories. You know, the saying is kind of cliche, Rob, that, you know, you can have a tale of two halves, but I feel like it was kind of that way for the offensive line. They were trying to find their footing in the first half, and Brian Burns was getting after it, Stone Forsythe. I mean, to credit Stone Forsythe, there are some really good tackles in this league that have struggled with Brian Burns. He is one of the best pure pass rushers in the NFL, and he made him look silly a few times in that first half. But I felt like in the second half, especially when they were able to get that ground game going. This, this almost felt like they were building an identity because we haven't seen that run game really come to life the first two weeks. And this is a Panthers defense that has had some trouble the first couple of games. We pointed out in our game plan, if you can get the run game going, that has been the Panthers' Achilles heel so far this year. And Seattle was able to get over 140 rushing yards with three and sometimes four backup linemen in the lineup. So that may speak more to the Panthers' struggles on that side of the ball, but they have so much talent along that defensive line that it's still you got to give kudos to this offensive line and to, to Shane Waldron to Andy Dickerson those guys the running backs I, I was really impressed and I thought in the second half that things started to change a little bit as they racked up more plays and they won the time of possession battle which has been something that's been rare the last couple of years for them to be able to keep that ground game going and I felt the offensive line did a really nice job opening up holes for them in the second half and that really turned the tide I have to mention Jake Bobo as well because like I said I didn't get to see this game in person live I didn't get to cover the game but I will admit I was near the end of the game I was starting to peek on my phone a little bit in the hospital room and nobody was upset about it they're like hey you know you're fat you're interested to see what's happening and of course the first thing that I watched was that incredible catch by Jake Bobo and you're getting to see now Rob why this guy made this football team we've seen a couple of the nice blocks he's had in the run game doing the dirty work that doesn't get noticed a lot of times at the receiver position but that catch, you want to talk about Tyler Lockett exquisite footwork along the sideline. I don't know how he got both of his big feet down in bounds, but he managed to do it. He looked like an acrobat catching that ball. And this is the guy that ran a 499. But even if he's not a speedy receiver, he did such a good job getting himself open. He disguised his route initially, looking like he was blocking down. And then he gets wide open. He caught the corner sleeping, and then Gino made a great throw. But really, that play was summed it up. Was the Michael Jackson footwork that he had going in the back of the end zone to get both feet down? So they're getting contributions from undrafted rookies. You saw a defense Devin Witherspoon balling out. Thirteen targets. He gave up five catches. Had eleven tackles to lead the team. Uh, a couple of them were near the line of scrimmage, but he was flying all over the place. So you're seeing the rookies start to pick things up, and you're seeing the depth that they have built at a number of positions. I don't think anybody thought the O-line depth was going to be a strength for this football team, but 
through three games. I know it's a smaller sample size, but it's pretty encouraging when you can plug somebody like a Ben Brown in for eight snaps, your offense is still able to move the ball, which they were able to do. And that is a credit to the coaching staff, most, first and foremost. I think Andy Dickerson has done a phenomenal job with this group. No, I, I agree with you. And again, I think that the depth is just uh, much better this year. And they're young players. That, to me, is what's so encouraging along the offensive line is this is only going to make the Seahawks better down the road. Obviously, when you get the two offensive tackles back, you want them to be your starters. You, you feel very good about uh, you know Damian Lewis at the left guard position. I think that at the right guard position, Phil Haynes had better get back quick uh, because Anthony Bradford made some incredible blocks in this game. He It seems like game in and game out uh anthony bradford makes a a splash block or two or five and he did that again in this game despite going against one of the better young defensive tackles in the league in my opinion in Derek brown a lot of the time so very encouraged by them uh, at the cornerback spots uh, you mentioned devin witherspoon and i mean i i just want to gush about this kid i mean uh you know nick mentioned before uh, on yesterday's show that uh you know again just as you mentioned i mean 11 different times the carolina panthers are going to target the rookie and it's very rare that you see him actually get beaten cleanly um, and his ability to to recognize what is going on around him is just remarkable considering how little football that he's played the physicality that he uh, plays the game with his ability to come up and sniff out a screen take out would-be blockers I mean this is a for 180 pound he plays like he's 220 pounds he plays like a safety and so it's just it's bringing the mentality to Seattle's cornerback room that, uh, as we just talked about, Seattle already has with their offensive lineman room. And that were, were two of the areas that I think that we had some questions coming into the season, but I think that they have been two of the relative strengths considering how many bodies have basically been lying on the floor at the end of these games. And for Seattle to continue to kind of rely on their depth and win um, with that depth, uh, really, to me, has been one of the most remarkable turnarounds of this season so far, similar to the way that we didn't have that high of expectations for Geno Smith a year ago. And obviously, he exceeded all those expectations in becoming the AP Comeback Player of the Year. I think you got to give a lot of credit to the veterans that played through injuries in this game. And Pete Carroll cited at the beginning of his press conference, it sets a tone for all your young guys that this is what it takes to win in the NFL. And what more fitting to do it when you've got your 2013 Super Bowl team in attendance watching the football game? That show that you have what it takes and you have the desire to win football games. Playing through pain is part of the equation. So guys like DK Metcalf, Quadre Diggs, Julian Love, Jared Reed, the game that he had playing with a groin injury that Pete Carroll today called legit. I mean, that sets the tone for your young guys, but you're seeing that depth that it is building off of what we saw those first couple of weeks, they are getting better week in, week out. And so I think that is the most exciting thing coming out of this game is that strength in numbers that we're seeing from this young Seahawks squad. Coming up next, we're going to answer your questions in our Monday mailbag question uh, mailbag segment. We'll get to as many questions as we can. When we return, you're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks which is brought your way by your friends over at LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. When I was a site manager, LinkedIn Jobs was my go-to to post writing positions to land top candidates, and they made the process easy and seamless. All you have to do is create your job post and add the 
add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile and spread the word you're hiring. They've got simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses choose LinkedIn jobs as number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors linkedin jobs helps you find qualified candidates you want to talk to faster post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked in nfl that's linkedin.com slash locked in nfl to post your job for free terms and conditions apply you're listening to the monday edition of locked on seahawks a victory monday edition i'm your host corbin smith glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime rob rang a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there for making locked on seahawks your first listen five days a week we greatly appreciate it don't forget coming up tomorrow it's tell the truth tuesday and we're going to be digging even deeper into this matchup the win over the panthers and start to look forward to a monday night matchup in new jersey in the meadowlands against the giants a lot of fun stuff coming up words of wisdom coming out of tomorrow's show so make sure you are listening in let's get to our mailbag shall we and our first question i'll have rob kick things off here this coming from Davo Hawk, Davo Hawk on Twitter. What can the Seahawks do to get JSN going? He seems to kind of be missing in the offense so far and not getting as open as I thought he would. Rookie learning curve? I think that it is some rookie learning curve. I also think it's it's one of the troubling things uh, about his game that I, I mentioned before. You know, when he, when he ran a 4-5-1, 4-5-2 at the 40-yard the dash at the combine, there were a lot of people out there who uh, basically said, okay, he, he answered the question about straight line speed. But if you look at his 10-yard split, it was the slowest of any wide receiver that was drafted this year. And so you just think about when you're running a route, uh, you know, it's going to be that initial quickness. And I have not seen the separation skills from him yet. I don't think that Geno Smith has, and that's why he is not featuring him. Um, so I think the Seattle's going to have to get a little bit more creative with the type of routes that they're going to be asking JSN uh, to excel on. I think that he can be very, very good on crossing routes um on uh you know it, it, it routes like that maybe some jerk routes where you're kind of going one way you stop and then turn back the other way that's going to take advantage of his elite change of direction skills and we've we've talked a lot about how we did in the short shuttle the three cone drill as slow as he was that 10 yard split he was among the fastest receivers ever um, in, in those other uh, those other metrics. So again, I think you have to, to be a little bit more creative with the routes being run here by him. And at the same time, I also think that there is some some rookie uh, deer in the headlights kind of moments from JS in a little bit. But I am uh, you know confident that he is going to be able to kind of right the ship a little bit, and, and the Seahawks are going to be able to get the ball to him more effectively as the season goes on. Max underscore NFL on Twitter after those awful many injuries the past few days and weeks. I saw a lot of comments by fans who want a change in the athletic coaching staff. Do you think the injuries are a coaching problem and changes have to be made or is it just bad injury luck? So I have seen so many tweets that have been sent my way over the last two or three years calling the trainer Ivan the Terrible. And look, I am not going to be giving those fans the answer that they are desiring and they are craving on this because I don't agree with that. Last year, the Seahawks were one of the healthiest teams in the NFL at the end of the season. And I think that that fortune was one of the reasons they were able to eke out a playoff spot with a nine and eight record. If they would have had a few more injuries, we just talked about this in the last segment, Rob, that last year's team did not have a lot of depth at a lot of positions when they were in at that reloading mode. Some would say rebuilding 
they didn't have a lot of depth at a number of those positions. And so I think that this year's group can withstand those injuries a little bit more. Last year, it would have been tricky. They probably lose another two or three games minimum if they have the injury bug hit. So I think that this is one of those cases you had a really physical game against the Detroit Lions. Both teams were really banked up coming out of the game. The Lions had a bunch of injuries. So are you going to go after their trainers and say it's time to fire them? And you know, you're not going to do that in the middle of the season either. You're not going to bring in a new conditioning coach in week four. Like you have to install an entire program in the offseason for that to really be something that's going to be noticeable. So, no, I, I don't blame the coaching staff at all. I don't think it's an issue. I think that they have had worse luck this year, but that's part of the game. That's the way that it goes. They're hoping that most of these injuries that aren't very significant, these guys are going to get back and they're going to be able to stay healthy. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. Our next question coming from Tom Page. Can you sort out the DB situation with Adams, Woolen, Bryant, Brown, Diggs, all being question marks of one sort or another, mainly health. We know where Witherspoon is playing, but the rest of the spots are debatable. Rob, I don't know if the other cornerback spot is necessarily debatable, but I get the point of the question here that with Jamal Adams coming back, I mean, there are a lot of moving parts here. Well, again, I think that's a good thing. I think that's a, just a testament to Seattle's depth. Again, I basically think that uh, when Jamal Adams comes back, then he's your starter. Julian Love is is now serving as more of a backup role or when Seattle decides to go to a three-safety look. I think it's pretty clear that's going to be Quandre Diggs, free safety. Jamal Adams is that rover or strong safety. Then Reek Wool and Devin Witherspoon on the outside. I think the Artie Bush's play um, has uh, you know perhaps put him in position to be that other guy the other starter at the nickel spot. Um, and I thought that he played pretty well against Detroit, uh, you know, or excuse me, against Carolina on Sunday. And so, uh, so he's a player that was not mentioned in that question. And then again, you're going to guys like Trey Brown, uh, Kobe Bryant's returning. Um, you know, so I, I think that, again, this is one of the, the deepest spots on Seattle's roster. I think that that's incredibly important in today's NFL, where it is all about the passing game. Um, you know, so to me, this is a, it's not a, bad problem to have at all it's a it's a good problem to have because all these guys can be kind of chomping at the bits they're all going to be wanting to create the big plays they're going to keep them in the starting line yeah i'm glad you pointed out Artie burns because he's a player we'll talk about a little bit more i'm sure in the next segment but that's a guy that had not played very much slot corner were there some mistakes in yesterday's game absolutely but there were a few of those that were more about the quarterback being able to buy himself some time and then creating some plays that Artie Burns had pretty good coverage on. You could only cover for so long, but it is a good problem to have. They still have the depth of the position that very few teams have at the quarterback spot in the league. And now that you've got a healthy Devin Witherspoon, that certainly makes it look much better with the way that he's playing right now. And our next question coming from Jacob Cole. What's the biggest difference in Seattle's run defense through three games? Is this a big enough sample size to be legit. So to answer that last part of the question, I still have some reservations just because of who the Seahawks have played against to this point. The Rams are not going to be known for their run game in the post-Todd Gurley era. That's not what they are built around. They are going to sling the football around the yard with Matthew Stafford. Your week two game against Detroit, that one was more of a formidable opponent because of the running backs they have, the offensive line, but they were also missing Taylor Decker. So that one was more of a, yeah, this could be legitimate. And then this game against Carolina, the Panthers have a bunch of injuries in the interior of their offensive line too. And so I think that it's a little tougher to gauge. With that being said, 
I think we are getting close to the territory where we can start to say this run defense could legitimately be a good one. If, if you think about it, Rob, last year was such an asterisk year because they've typically had a really good run defense in the entire Pete Carroll era. They, there's been a couple years that have been exceptions, including last year, but the two years before last year, they were really good in the top 10 in run defense. They have typically been stout at the point of the attack. And I think the scheme changes they had last year and some of the personnel not fitting they had a lot of different things they had to sort through in year one. It just seems like the gap integrity and just playing together. I think that is the most notable thing here. These defensive linemen they might not have played a lot of reps together in the preseason, but you're seeing that chemistry week in, week out is getting better. And having Bobby Wagner, number 54 back there, a healthy Jordan Brooks, those guys attacking downhill. Devin Bush has made some plays the couple games he's been in. So it just seems like this team is playing much more disciplined football against the run. I don't think it's they've reinvented the wheel. I think last year there were just a lot of issues with players not being in the right spots, giving up their gaps, and it feels like they're much more disciplined this year. Our next question Dominic1398 on YouTube. Pete Carroll says Jamal Adams has no limitations this week. What does that look like in his first game in a year? How do they use him? I think that they're going to use him very aggressively. I think that Daniel Jones is going to see more of number 33 from the Seahawks than, than he wants to see. I think that is not I mean, sure. I think the Seahawks have been hesitant, uh, you know, cautious, I guess is the better word, um, to get Jamal ba- Jamal Adams back. But I also think that it kind of works out beautifully that it's going to be a return to the East Coast, where, of course, he was a member of the New York Jets and when he was an all-pro. Um, and that's going to be you know, a Monday night football. That's going to be Jamal Adams' return. I think that the Seahawks are as excited about the return of Jamal Adams as you possibly can be. And uh, and again, I, I think that they are going to absolutely unleash him as a pass rusher. Uh, at least that, that's the belief I have. I think that's the belief that they have. Whether it winds up becoming true, I mean, Jamal Adams is going to have to prove that he is worth all of those, all that money and all of this hype. But I think that that is their plan. Is they want to use him differently than what they're using Julian Love. I think they want to allow him to rush the quarterback, uh, you know, just be the the burr in the side uh, against the running game as well. It remains to be seen if Saquon Barkley is going to be in this game. Um, but he, Jamal Adams, the type of athlete that might be able to not only be able to kind of help bottle up a, a dynamic runner in a Saquon Barkley, that kind of going back to the question before about Seattle's uh, ability to, or not to, to slow down an opposing running game. And then Daniel Jones is going to be of all the quarterbacks the Seahawks have faced here so far. Daniel Jones is going to be the most dynamic runner of that bunch as well. So it makes a lot of sense to have a guy like Jamal Adams with his change of direction, his ability to kind of wreak havoc at the line of scrimmage. This is the game that you want to see Jamal Adams back. And I'm expecting a pretty impressive, splashy type of, of NFL or, excuse me, 2023 debut for Jamal Adams. When we return for our final segment here on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks, of course, it's our Monday musings. We're going to dish out our in-depth takeaways coming out of yesterday's game, offense, defense, special teams. And we might give some love to some people that had a huge impact in this game that weren't in pads as well. Don't go away. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks, which is brought your way by DoorDash. Missing the syrup for your pancakes or just ran out of your favorite coffee creamer? With DoorDash grocery delivery, you can get what you want right when you need it. You've tried 
trusted DoorDash to deliver your restaurant favorites, and now you can get grocery delivery that actually delivers to thousands of grocery stores to choose from. You'll find the best in your neighborhood and boost your local economy with each and every order. You'll get exactly what you ordered or we'll make it right. So sit back and enjoy quality groceries just like you picked them yourself. Want even more value? You can save all your grocery and restaurant favorites with a $0 delivery fee on all eligible orders with a Dash Pass membership with easy substitutions right in the app and best in-class customer support. DoorDash delivers groceries exactly how you want it. Get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to a $20 value when you use the code LOCKEDONNFL at checkout. Limited time offer and terms do apply, but let's be clear, that's 50% off. Up to $20, no minimum subtotal, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code LOCKEDONNFL. Don't forget, that's LOCKEDONNFL for 50% off your first order with DoorDash. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It is time for our weekly Monday musings. And thank goodness, Rob, second week in a row that we get to have a victory edition of Monday musings. Sir, I'm going to give you the mic first on the offensive side of the football What's something that stood out to you coming out of this game, especially after having a chance to re-watch Seattle's 37-27 win over Carolina? Well, you, you know me, Corbin. I'm always going to focus in on the young players. And again, Anthony Bradford being suddenly pushed into the starting role at right guard, that was definitely something that I wanted to watch. So, um, you know, I, I went back and watched all of his snaps um, and was, was very pleased with what I saw. There, there were some moments in pass protection as well as in the running game where he was beaten. But as I mentioned before, I mean, he's going up against Derek Brown and a host of other very talented Carolina Panthers defensive tackles. Uh, but still, some of the biggest blocks uh, – and biggest runs by either Zach Charbonnet or by Ken Walker III were right behind uh, you know, the, the big guard from LSU, Anthony Bradford. And again, it's his size. It's his mauling ability at the point of attack that really gets me excited about his upside potential. I really think that this could be a, a not only a starter, but a high caliber starter in the making here. So very excited about what, what he demonstrated. Ben Brown, I, I wanted to kind of focus in on what he was able to do very, very different type of a player. When, whereas with Anthony Bradford, when he gets himself in trouble is when he is asked to to block on the move. He's actually got better quickness than I gave him credit for. Um, he can get to the second level. He just kind of struggles when he actually gets there, kind of changing directions and anticipating where the defender the defender is going to go. Uh, ben Brown also missed a couple, um, but at the same time, he also showed very good mobility getting to the the next level. And again. We got to talking about with Anthony Bradford, a guy who was drafted in the fourth round, and Ben Brown, you picked up off the scrap heap. So I, I was very encouraged by his ability to come in and play. I like the communication that he showed with Evan Brown as well as Stone Forsythe. That was something that got better as Brown played the game. The very first snap he was on there, it was the worst uh, you know, play from Seattle's offensive line of the entire game. That was the one where, where Brian Burns basically did kind of a you know a nice little stop and go kind of a move that, that had Stone Forsythe, you know, missing the, the block, you know, basically whiffed him completely. And there was a lack of communication there between he and Ben Brown. But as the game went on, Seattle played better at that left guard spot. Certainly when Damian Lewis came back in there, they got a lot better. But I, I want definitely wanted to mention 
mentioned that the tight end play, that the fact that Noah Fant gets a, uh, a season high um, number of targets, season high number of catches, that Kobe Parkinson gets a season high number of targets, season high catches. All three of Kobe Parkinson's receptions go for first down. Noah Fant has a couple of, of, of passes uh, go for first downs as well. Considering how much I was personally concerned about Seattle with Will Disley going down at the tight end position, I thought that was going to be a real challenge for Seattle to turn that possible weakness instead into a strength in this game. Again, I think that the offensive line and the tight ends deserve an awful lot of credit for this victory. Yeah, you mentioned the young offensive lineman. I got to talk about the young running back. And I'm not taking away from what Ken Walker III did because he had more rushing yards. He had almost 100 rushing yards, scored touchdowns on the ground, two of them. And the Seahawks are doing much better in the red zone running the football this year. That has been a very noticeable improvement for this offense. Last year, I believe they had one rushing touchdown in the red zone the entire season. They've got three already in three games. But I want to talk about Zach Charbonnet, and I hit on this a little bit last week that I wanted to see a little bit more, and I'm still wanting to see more from him because I want to see more of him because this guy is just so fun to watch. And I was mentioning today, usually when I'm re-watching film, I will tweet out some thoughts while I'm doing it, and part of it is that's my notes. I can go back and say, oh, yeah, I remember this play. And, of course, I get feedback from our listeners and our valued readers, but – I was watching the film and and I started to think that Zach Charbonnet runs with the same gait and the same reckless physicality as a back that played in Seattle not too long ago here in the Pacific Northwest. And of course, most of the responses I got back were Marshawn Lynch. And I I can understand why you would say that, but no, I, I actually think that this is a Thomas Rawls style runner. You watch the way that he pinballs off of defenders. And really the thing that stands out to me that looks like Thomas Rawls, the run that he had that he almost got in the end zone where he bowled over one of the Panthers defensive backs. Like it was a legitimate truck stick. Like that term gets thrown around a lot when it's not even running over a guy. This was literally running over a guy tire into the ground. That run made me think of Thomas Rawls against the 49ers in that game. They had over 200 rushing yards along the sideline. You know what? I'm not going to go out without getting some contact. He does not want to be shortchanged, and I just love that mentality that he runs with. I think he is a much more versatile player than Thomas Rawls ever was with his pass protection, his polished receiving skills. I think he's got better vision out of the backfield than what Rawls did. I think that was a big reason his career got cut short. If that was a struggle for him, he was too aggressive sometimes getting downhill. But this kid, when he sees a linebacker in space, he he believes in the fastest way from point A to point B is a straight line. And I'm going to bull you over. He plays that way, and I just love it. And you can see the quickness. You can see the second-round talent. So you've really got that perfect complement with those two running backs in the backfield. No, you really do. Uh, I think it's almost kind of uh, comical that his last name is Charbonnet because it sounds kind of smooth, and instead he's power. And, uh, you know, he just – he has an ability. The same thing as Ken Walker third, just in very different ways, of course. Ken Walker is so – just a, such a smooth, dynamic change of direction after the jump cuts. I mean, he just he just drops your jaw sometimes. But Charbonnet, with he, he I mean, he he just drops defenders to the ground um, with his physicality. Uh, I think that it's just.
just such a great one-two punch the Seahawks have. And so I'm excited to see where that goes. You know, to me, I mentioned this a little bit earlier uh, at the cornerback position. I'm going to switch over to the defensive side of the ball here. And I, I just was, just like I mentioned before, offensive line and how I had some concerns about, you know, you lose a Reek Warren, you, you lose a, or, or, excuse me, a, a Kobe Bryant, um, you know, and the drop-off is going to be significant. And look, I realize that Andy Dalton is not the second coming of Dan Marino out there, but this is still a quality quarterback. I saw a lot of poor quarterback play throughout the NFL on Sunday, and I thought that Andy Dalton played absolutely good enough um, to, to lead the Carolina Panthers to a victory. Obviously, he's had a great deal of success against Seattle in the past. He threw a couple of absolute beautiful balls, one over one of the players I'm about to highlight here, Mike Jackson, who was in perfect position, but a perfect throw over the top to DJ Chark along the sideline. You know, you can't defend that. I don't care who you are. That's just an incredible throw and great concentration by DJ Chark. But it's not just about the coverage. It's about the physicality and, and mm-hmm. keeping receivers at the line of scrimmage. It's about recognizing the many screens and draws and things that the Carolina Panthers were looking to do. And the physicality of Mike Jackson, as well as Artie Burns, I mentioned before, that nickel corner spot. To me, that was, again, one of the kind of unsung uh, causes of the victory for the Seahawks that People are going to talk about some of the other players, but I thought that the, the play of Mike Jackson, Artie Burns in particular, I know they gave up a bunch of receptions. I know that. They didn't have any penalties. They didn't give up any long touchdowns that weren't actually very well deserved by the Panthers. Give them some credit too. But I thought that the, the lack of a significant drop-off between Seattle starters to their third, fourth corners, um, again, is one of the reasons why Seattle secondary is, I think, going to be one of the, the biggest reasons why they should be able to return to the playoffs this season i don't think that there has been a player that has drawn more praise in the last 24 hours coming out of this game than jaron reed and rightfully so especially knowing the significance of the groin injury that he has again pete carroll when he uses the word legit you start panicking you start thinking this guy's going on injured reserve and yet he refused to sit out after missing a couple practices he was back in the practice field friday and that might have been the best game that i have seen jaron reed play in the nfl the other the other day against the panthers he had Three pressures, or actually, I had him down for five pressures. I had him down for three quarterback hits, one and a half sacks. He was able to do Michael Bennett's uh, hip thrust dance, and he made sure to only do two so he doesn't get penalized. <laughs> it's making me think of the Key and Peel skit here, but uh, he had a fantastic game. He also had a pass deflection. He was all over the field. He was great against the run. He was constantly disrupting the pocket, and yet – He's not the guy that I'm going to highlight here, though. We're talking about turning up the heat on Andy Dalton. I could not stop watching number 97, and I kept thinking, is Puna Ford back in a Seahawks uniform? Because Mario Edwards is like four inches taller, and he's 20 pounds lighter, and yet he looked like Puna Ford out there. He looked like he was a similar build, just a stockier guy. And his bull rush was absolutely demolishing Carolina's interior line. Rob, I had him down for eight pressures, and wow. it, it, it's it's not you know it's subjective, but to me, most of those it's like these are no brainers. Like he literally is just bulldozing guards into the backfield, into Andy Dalton's lap, and frequently was forcing some quick 
throws from the pocket. He hit him a couple times with the lineman when he pushed him into him. And so I thought Mario Edwards, uh, Super Mario, powered up in this game. He played. Just to put this in perspective, those eight pressures, he had a little over 30 last year. So he had almost a third of his total in this one game. So that either speaks to this Carolina interior line being god-awful, which I'm going to be honest with you, they were awful yesterday. They were bad. But you also got to give credit to the interior defenders for taking advantage of that. And Jaron Reed had a good game last week in Detroit. Mario Edwards made a couple splashy plays in that game against a much better offensive line. So it does feel like this interior group, you're hoping Draymond Jones, the hip back issue that he's dealing with, he's playing through. Hopefully that's nothing significant because he started to find his footing a little bit. But those three, that is becoming a pretty formidable defensive front for Seattle that seems like it fits the scheme that they're trying to run much better than the personnel they had a year ago. And you're seeing those splashy pass rush and run defense plays from this core group of veterans. Yeah, that's the biggest reason why I have uh, you know some optimism about um, Seattle's ability to kind of keep this nice run going in terms of run defense is because it, we sometimes will maybe you've heard the expression like old man strength, and I'm definitely not trying to call Jaron Reed, Mario Edwards, uh, or uh, Draymond Jones old men. Um, they're all younger than I am, um, but at the same time, you can see this the just the power that they offer, the just the savviness that they offer, um, and so again. I have my reservations about what I think the Seattle's going to be able to hold up to some of the elite running games in all of the NFL. But I thought that they just physically overwhelmed Carolina at the point of attack yesterday. And I thought that the, you could see how um, they were able to kind of control that game, um, not only in the running game, but also in terms of the pass rushes. As you said, all those hits for Mario Edwards, as well as uh, Jaron Reed on Andy Dalton. And then I, I think that we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the impact of 12s out there. I mean, Yep. Corbin, they, they were as loud as I have heard them since the Super Bowl days. And maybe it was because they were inspired by the fact that they was a 10-year anniversary and they were celebrating uh, you know, the 2013 World Championship run. They, they put down the banner and all of that. I don't know what it was, but I know they were loud. It came through the television here. Um, and, and I definitely I was texting some people who were actually at the game themselves, and they said they couldn't hear the person right next to them. And so that, I think, is uh, definitely a, a, a welcoming uh change from what I saw in week one, where, as I said before, the CX came out flat, but I thought the crowd was flat that game as well. The energy was there from the jump in this game. And I think the Seahawks took full advantage of it. And they definitely, uh, the crowd got exactly what they were hoping for with the Seahawks literally running away with this victory. You cannot overstate the value of the 12s when they are rocking and that stadium is rocky the way that it was in 2012, 2013, 2014. I think that that is crucial to getting this team back to being a Super Bowl contender because if you can win most of your home games, you don't want to lose any of your home games. Seattle already lost the season opener. But if the crowd's rocking the way they were again – I was not at the game because of the health stuff going on in my family, but I was watching the replay, and I'm like, I can just tell that this stadium, it is on a different level. And maybe it was just a perfect uh, celebration for the 2013 Super Bowl team that we're going to take it back to 2013 to throw back crowd noise, but they need to bring it that way every week. And if they can, and you suddenly have the number one home field advantage, the NFL again, or at least at, at argue, you could argue with Kansas city that Seattle's got the best. Uh, that really is a difference maker. And if you can get some home playoff games, it's even more noticeable then. So yeah, credit to the 12s. They really brought in and the players talked about eight false starts for the Carolina Panthers yesterday too. The crowd made it a nightmare. 
for that offensive line yesterday. And that was a big reason the Seahawks were able to get things rolling in the second half and ended up winning 37 to 27 to move to two and one. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Come out tomorrow. It's Tell the Truth Tuesday. We'll be dishing out some final words of wisdom coming out of this game against the Carolina Panthers and looking forward to Monday night football against the New York Giants. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.